Here it is. Again. And it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to the April 1979 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, Punk, Post-Punk, and New Wave 1976 to 1986. If anybody's wondering what the answer is to the question, who's a happy boy, it's me. <laughs> I'm a happy boy. Yeah, you must really like this. After a pretty wobbly March of 79, April 79, Feels like a much-needed course correction. Uh-huh. We've got releases from Tubey Army, The Only Ones, uh, Patrick Fitzgerald yeah. and the pop group, to name just a few. Yeah. Now, Rob, I suspect you may disagree with me on a couple of albums, but I personally don't think that there are any, like, epic masterpieces in this group. Sure. But with the... Um, with the notable exception of one album, oh. I can say um, that uh, this is a group of absolutely delightful albums. I can't argue with that at all. I had a really good time researching and listening. I've listened to this playlist like three or four times now, and yep. um, I, I like it more every time I hear it. So, Well, let's kick it off with um, a song off of the debut album from the members called Stand Up and Spit. Like I said, I'm really looking forward to this playlist. Uh, there's a handful of bands on here that are, are I'm kind of ignorant about, or I was ignorant about. I learned a little bit. And and then there's some of my very favorites in here, and I'm just looking forward to it, man. Yeah, yeah. It's We, we have a lot to talk about. But first, as always, I just want to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. Although this is an opinion show, we always try to be mindful not to get too opinionated because ultimately we're here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was produced in a, during a pretty unique period in time. Speaking of which, Professor, uh, <laughs> would you like to give us a little history lesson? What was going on in April of 1979? So much was going on in April of 79. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, so for instance, uh, in the U.S., number one songs at the time were What a Fool Believes by the Doobie Brothers, Knock on Wood by Amy Stewart, Heart of Glass by one of my favorites, Blondie, uh, debuting television. Hey, the first, I, I just want to note it, note, yeah. the first new wave song to hit number one in the United States. This there is an go. absolute mile marker that we don't want to blaze through. That's, that's true. We should not forget. Spend a, 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 a couple of seconds of silence just appreciating that fact. <laughs> All okay. right, moving you on. You may proceed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Debuting TV was uh, Real People. Did you ever watch that show? You remember Real People? I had never heard of it until just a couple of days oh, ago. Yeah, I love that show. I was more of a that's in, you know that's incredible, but Real People was cool. Uh, notable movies of the time: Mad Max, Manhattan, Hurricane, and then some notable events. Um, the longest doubles ping pong match ends after 101 hours. Wow, their arms must be tired. Uh, Iran <laughs> proclaimed an Islamic Republic following the fall of the Shah. And President Jimmy Carter, this is very traumatic for him, I'm sure. President Jimmy Carter was attacked by a swamp rabbit, which swam up to his fishing boat in Plains, Georgia. I'm sure he had nightmares about that for days <laughs> afterwards. So there you are, a little history for uh, April of 1979. So, shall we get into Anything it? Anything else? No, I think that's it. <laughs> no, I think Let's we got it covered, it. man. Okay. So, um, <laughs> the song you heard at the top of the podcast was by the, a band called The Members. And the Members came out with their album at the Chelsea Nightclub in April 1979. They're a British punk band from Surrey, and they're best known for their single, Sound of the Suburbs. This band is totally brand new to me. I, I'd never, at least to my knowledge, had never heard anything. Uh, from them before. Sound of the Suburbs reached number 12 in 1979. And uh, by the way, they were also well known for radio, which hit number five in Australia in 1982. Um, they, this album was on Virgin Records. It was produced by Steve Lil, uh, Lillywhite. Uh, we mm. remember him from producing Ecstasy and Susie and the Banshees, Rolling Stones. He produced Peter Gabriel, the Rolling Stones, and Simple you Minds. You too. You too. A bunch of big names. A bunch of big names. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, this album, uh, it had been, it was called A Hidden Gem Amongst the Juggernauts of Punk. And it it's high, comes highly regarded. Uh, it showcases all the genres, strength, you know, all the punk Everything that makes a good punk album uh, was was reported to be or reported to be displayed in this album, um, but they, it was said that they gave it a little bit of twist at the end. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I I found that I really enjoyed the members um, as as I listened to this album. I kind of I, I dug it. Yeah. So this this was uh, their debut album, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and it's it it may be uh, fairly well um, revered at this point, but when it was actually released, it it got kind of mixed reviews. Yeah, this is I'm going to say this a lot uh, with this group of albums, but this is just a delightful album. It yeah. is it 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 does feel a little slight to me. Um, you know, it's funny. So the um, song that we we kick things off with, Stand Up and Spit, that was uh, my choice, which I made after I saw what your choice was. Oh. Because the interesting thing about this band is, excuse me, this album, is that I, I, 
I'd heard of the members, um, but I'm not certain that I'd heard any of their music. There was f certainly the first time I'd heard this album. There were two bands that I I thought of again and again as I listened to this album. So I thought uh, um, there's a lot of stuff in here that reminds me of the first two albums by The Clash. Uh -huh. And then I thought um, a lot about the specials, which yeah. were yeah. Uh, hadn't, hadn't released an album yet, but will soon in just a couple of months. So they were, they were contemporaries. Um, I think probably, so this is a nice album, but a little slight album. And I think they were uh, probably the victims of poor timing because the specials mighty, mighty debut is about to come out. And I'm sure it just sort of like sucked all of the, the air out of the room, all of the oxygen out of the room for uh, bands like the members that are uh, a little slighter um, than, than the, the specials, I mean, their, their debut album just sort of like was epic, right? Yeah. Speaking yeah. of e epic masterpieces. Um, but this, this was a real nice surprise for me. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll I, agree to that. I liked I, it a lot. Yeah. I'll agree to that. I, I had read that, that the reason a lot of critics think that this album slid under the radar was because like you said, it was poor timing. Um, it came out just as the punk movement was starting to to slow down. You know, it was kind of it was kind of dying. I want to say dying off, but it was definitely um, becoming more subdued. And 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 had they maybe waited a little longer, or or come out with this album a little earlier, either way, it would have been big news. Um, there's definitely some specials in there, and these guys definitely they definitely showed off all of their uh, influences in this album. So, yeah. Yeah. Know. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. So the, um, the song that we're about to hear your pick is mm -hmm. the, the song, the sound of the suburbs, which sounds very like early clash to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but stand up and spit is the first song that I have heard like this off of like a full length album. I mean, I, I'm not going to claim that the members are getting there first because there are lots of other songs and singles, I'm sure that were released. But as far as, far as this sort of like post-punk, um, ska reggae dubby type feel, mm -hmm. this is the first song that I can remember on a full length album that, that we've examined chronologically. Um, so I just, I think that is, that's something uh, to be noted and it kind of makes me happy. I, I bet you that uh, <laughs> they regretted or maybe just didn't, enjoy playing that song live to the punk groups <laughs> yeah I, right. I mean to the punk crowds <laughs> for for very obvious reasons yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. um so so your pick off of this album is the sound of the suburbs yeah absolutely
The Suburbs was a song that really stuck out to me on this album. Um, although I really did enjoy the entire album, I just felt like this was to, to me. It was just a really good, a really good, really strong punk album or punk song. And uh, yeah, I just totally, I totally dig it. So yeah, yeah, a, a good band, a, a great band, a great album. Um, I definitely think these guys are some some pretty, you know, it's pretty good stuff. And I. I I'm putting them on my playlist actually just because I want to kind of I've got kind of want to grow with them. As far as seeing them as a contender in our top 10 towards the end of the year, I sadly don't think they'll make it. Um you know, there's just there's just not enough of them to go around. I feel like there's there's bigger louder bands coming up and and, and in the past. So Right, exactly. I yeah. mean, it's like the uh the clash esque stuff that they do on this album, the clash did better. Yeah. And the you know, the special esque stuff that they do on this album, <laughs> the specials do better. Yeah. So yeah, so that is the the members debut album um titled At the Chelsea Nightclub. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on to the Rosillos. So this was a goof on my part, <laughs> Rob. I'm sure okay. that you. I, I know we were messaging back and forth. There was some confusion about this. We uh, we typically only cover um, studio albums. I would. I was not aware that this was purely a live album. Um, and to add to the confusion, I couldn't actually find any place to listen to this album. But I did know that it was on a compilation uh, that that combined their studio album and this album and a bunch of singles, and so it was it was like chaos trying to figure out yes. what this album actually was. Turns out we finally figured it out. It is a it was a live recording of their very last concert, and we typically don't cover live albums, but. I got to tell you, Rob, I'm glad that we did yeah, because me too. <laughs> if you remember um, when we talked about their their one and only studio album, um, you liked it a lot more than I did. Uh-huh. And the reason why I didn't care for it so much was I didn't I didn't think the songwriting was particularly interesting. And I typically like studio renditions of songs more than live but i gotta tell you these songs really benefit um from a live performance because that the the sort of blandness that was in this inherent in the songwriting in the studio albums is sort of compensated by the super duper high energy that they have 
in concert. So yeah. I typically prefer studio to live, but not with this band. Their their secret sauce is their their live performance energy. So let's let's go ahead and listen to um, one of the uh, live uh, uh, songs. So this was, I believe, it was included on their studio album. But this is the song called No. track um you know i gotta say it's i'm not crazy about the production quality just because it's you know it's a recording of their last concert um but the tune is killer by the time they had recorded uh this album they had already decided they were breaking up and and to come out with this quality of of album this entertain this entertainment this energy this excitement when you know that you're going to be splitting up, man, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that is the Rosillo's um, second and final album. It's mm-hmm. a live album, so it officially does not qualify for um, our end of the year um, top ten. But it is, I'm glad that we took that little detour and um, got a chance to, to talk about it. Uh, the name of the album is called Mission Accomplished, but the beat goes on. Yeah, very good. Our next album is by the band The Only Ones, and it's called Even Serpents Shine. Uh, the band, of course, was formed in 1976. Um, the album, produced by uh, Peter Parrott and... Alan Alan Mayer, uh, two guys from the band on uh, Columbia Records, even Serpent Shine. It seems that they got so much praise for this album. There was praise left and right. Um, but one thing people, everybody seemed to agree with was that it wasn't punk. It was more like power pop. Yeah, well, I, I don't think that this album was any more or any less punk or not punk than their first album. I mean, right, the, right. the it really feels like... Uh, an extension of their first album. Yeah. So, so how do you feel about this album? Well, I, I actually really liked it. Um, you know, you mentioned early on that there are no great masterpieces, but it's a whole delightful set. I don't think there's a single album in this set that I disliked. Um, I like others. <laughs> I like others oh, more. Oh, come on. There's, okay. there's one. There's, when we, we will get to t- it. We will talk about that one. Um, <laughs> and that one album even has its its good points. So I won't, uh, I won't I won't dog on it too bad. But but it really is good. And, and I I think I was surprised because I don't remember how I felt about the only ones before because I didn't go back and listen to their album uh, or do you know look at my past research. But 
I kind of expected that I wasn't going to like it for some reason. Uh, and I really, I really dug it. I really liked it a lot. Um, I, I kind of heard a lot of like 1950s, ni- early 1960s influence in this. And, and that's kind of a theme in the, ni- in the 70s punk because, you know, it really wasn't that long before. It was only 20 years or so. But, but yeah, I'd like this album. What do you think about this album? Well, as you may or may not remember, their debut album um, released in 1978 was my number five favorite album of that year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you would think that I was eagerly awaiting this follow-up album, but I was dreading it because... <laughs> what I love so much about the first one was the unlikely alchemy of of things that shouldn't work but somehow do and kind of make it great. You know, so we've talked about this dynamic of of every once in a while I come across a band or an album where they're doing things that I normally dislike, but somehow they make it work. And that's just, that's like lightning in a bottle. It's such, so such a personal aesthetic thing to me that it was, there was no way that they were going to be able to replicate it. And so I was just expect, cause really just a little bit one way or the other. And it, starts it would start sounding like bands that i don't particularly care for like television or um the velvet underground you Uh know not two of my favorite bands but so i don't love this album but it is still i would call it delightful i think the song writing uh quality is still pretty high uh-huh. Uh, you know, compared to their first one, I, I like the songwriting a little bit better in the first one, but what this album lacks for me is the, um, so much of the first album, each song just had these delightful, weird little arrangement choices where it was obvious that the band had just spent a lot of time working through these songs and just just giving it all each song its own unique flavor with these with these unexpected little left of field choices about yeah. how how they were gonna how, how they were gonna, you know, execute the music for the songs that is not here i i feel like the execution of these songs even though the songwriting is probably just as strong the execution is a lot more uh predictable and so that just makes it fundamentally less interesting but i i, I consider it a triumph because i don't hate it and i expected to hate it oh sweet sweet um so i chose i chose a song for this album that uh that probably is strong with a lot of those elements that you normally don't like. <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's let's listen to it and we'll see see what what you say. Uh, the song I picked to play is "Out There in the Night." You left that morning. You gave me no warning. You were my best friend. Oh, I can't live without you. There was something about you. I want you back again. Sometimes I think of you 
yeah, I like this song. I do. Um, I, you know, I was. It was really hard picking songs for for this because it's really I wanted, I wanted two songs for every album, and so it yeah. was really tough for me to not put my choice um, for this. So this was, there's a couple of songs that I like a little bit better than this one, but I just, it's a, quality wise, it's a very um, uh, steady, um, consistent album. Um, There are pleasures here. They're just not as, as dramatic and as exciting as, you know, the high points of their first album. Cool. Well, that was the only one's uh, album, Even Serpents Shine, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I was pretty, pretty surprised, pretty pleasantly surprised by this. So it was good to hear that, that mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that you actually mm-hmm. liked it. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, it is. It's not going to make my list. I can't imagine that it's going to make the final list. I, yeah. you know. I'm going to have a hard time recommending this album to people, you know, if they have a limited amount of time to, to play catch up on albums they're not familiar with. I I just, I don't think it's a real strong contender, but it it is. uh, So the word delightful is just going to pop up every three seconds (laughs) uh, for this episode, because it's really that though, that kind of uh, yeah. that kind of a batch of music, and yeah. this this is one of those. It's it's a a slight but delightful album, I think. Great. Moving on to something with a little bit more heft, something I think that both of us can get uh, more excited about. Tubeway Army releases their second and final album before they just switch over to uh, Gary Newman. Um, an album called Replicas. Uh, this was a the first time that they had a real big hit, at least in the UK, with a song called Our Friends Electric. And um, Rob, your number one favorite album of 1978 was their debut album. So yes. I am dying to hear, but I know that you kind of like that chilly, frosty electronic thing that, <laughs> that Gary Newman is going to start doing. So yeah. I am really curious how this album stacks up for you compared to their debut. Um, well, that's interesting. You know, I, I think I like them both for very different reasons. Um, but I I don't know if I can say, you know what? I might actually like this one a little bit better, but but mm. I just I love this album. I mean, I I again I'm surprised by it. Uh, you know, I keep looking at Gary Newman and Two-Way Army as something that that maybe I haven't heard a lot of, but every time I listen to an album from Two-Way Army or Gary Newman, it's like, oh, wait, I know this. I've heard all this stuff, and it's all stuff I love. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm excited by this album, and I'm even more excited by what he's got coming, you know, in the future. Uh, I just think it was, I, I don't know, I think it was a cool album and a cool theme. Like, you know, it's kind of a, a thematic album. Um, yeah, uh, it is really neat. is sort of a concept album, right? So he yeah. he was the idea was that he was writing a novel, and this was sort of a soundtrack to that novel. 
Um, and I don't know that the novel got published, or if it did, it didn't get published in a timely manner to tie in with the release of this album. But it is, it, I, I mean, you would, if you listen to it, you wouldn't necessarily go, oh, this is a concept album. Not like, um, like Styx's Kilroy was here or something (laughs) like that. But, um, but, and, and also there, there is a weird dichotomy of different musical approaches on this song. I mean, on this album rather. Um, so it's like half of the songs feel like they would be at home fit perfectly in place off of their, their debut album. And then the rest of them sound like they would absolutely fit on Gary Newman's uh, next album. Right. So in basically what it, it breaks down to is, does it have guitar? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's the question for this yeah. album for each song is does it have guitar <laughs> we're gonna actually listen to one of each so what did you pick well here's the thing i picked a song because this whole set you know i try to stay away from the singles or the most like the popular songs the famous songs that they did um and this whole set of albums i think i picked a single off of every album or at least a you know one of their big tunes um and this one i picked down in the park and i picked it because to me it sounded so familiar and it took me a little while to figure it out um but i i listened to this and i'm like i know this song but wait, I don't know it yeah. Gary Newman, do it? And it, it finally it clicked. Um, there was an album, uh, I don't know, like 20 years ago or more, by uh, called Songs in the Key of X, based on, on it was kind of a songs influenced by the X-Files, or at least it fit into that sort of thing. And this is a cover that, well, the song on that album was a cover by the Foo Fighters. They covered Down in the Park. Mm. And I thought it was such a killer song. that when I hear it or when I think about it or when I start talking about it, I get stuck in my head and I can't get it out. Um, Mm -hmm. And this, I think this song kind of makes the album for me. You know, this became one of my, one of my, well, became my, probably my very favorite album uh, on this set because of this song. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I listen to it while I'm driving. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I've I've been familiar with the song for a very, very long time. Um, I find it a little boring. Uh, I think it was probably a lot more exciting at the time. I'm sure it sounded very new and fresh and 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 energetic. But it, I appreciate it. But I pretty much all of the stuff off of this album 
that I like the most is the stuff that sounds more like it belongs off of their debut album. Gotcha. Uh, basically, it comes down to guitars. It has yeah. guitars. <laughs> you know, so I was thinking like, okay, well, Two-Way Army turns, turns into Gary Newman, but I knew that the band basically uh, stayed intact. And I was like, well, how pissed off was the guitar player when suddenly they switched to like down in the park. Then I realized, oh, Gary Newman was always the guitar player. So <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, he, he decided this song needs guitar, this song doesn't. But it is really the, the presence or absence of guitar is really kind of like sticks out like a sore thumb so it's a little i find it a little jarring going from one to the other um off of this album so it feels a little inconsistent to me um but uh my pick off of this album is a song called uh, you are my vision a little peppier energy there i got that <laughs> again it's a really cool song and uh, that bass line is pretty killer i like that a lot uh yeah it's a great tune man and i don't know i i'm i'm digging the entire album i just can't get over it mm -hmm. okay so that is two-way army's second and final album under the moniker two-way army called replicas um I expect this album to show up on a number of lists mm -hmm. uh, submitted at the end of the year. Now, whether or not it actually makes the final top 10, I have no idea. But there is no doubt that this is a, a notable album for 1979 and must be considered uh, when yeah. compiling lists. Yeah, Do I'm, you I'm concur? I'm definitely, I definitely concur with that, but I, uh, I think I may even toss it in a barrel that you know of uh, of songs that I'm thinking to, or albums that I'm thinking of putting in my list. Um, you know, whether it makes it, it may get bumped off. There's a lot of stuff coming out still, so we'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, he is, he is definitely, you know, the, uh, well, the whole album, but especially the ones that are lacking guitar. Um, he he is definitely giving us a new sound that we haven't quite heard before. We can hear influences. We can hear um, Ultravox. We can hear Kraftwerk. We can hear a number of others. Yeah. But he's just he's mixing it all up and uh, churning out something that really sounds um, unique and fresh. So so kudos to him for that. 
All right. Well, the next album we're going to cover is the debut album from a band called The Pop Group. And this is their album, Why? The letter Y, not the question or the uh, <laughs> the, the word Y. Um, so these guys were formed in 1977. They only released two albums and then they broke up. Um, but what I found interesting about them was that they got back together in 2010, came up with some new material and are still traveling. They're still playing today and they're touring and stuff. Um, this is, a, like I said, it's their first album and it got mixed reviews. Uh, but, but more recently, people like Pitchfork listed it as number 35 on its uh, list of top 100 albums of the 1970s. And, and The Wire calls it one of the 100 most important records ever made. Um, which I find kind of interesting, Joseph. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, let me throw another one, uh, another accolade at you. Um, Uncut Magazine thinks that it's the 82nd best debut of all time. 82nd. Um, yeah, so of this is, these are, yeah, and I think these assessments are um, more recent. So yeah. I, I, I think the accolades are more of the uh, retrospective nature than contemporary. Um, so are you ready to talk about this album? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I find it impossible to think or talk about this album without comparing it to an album that we talked about last month, which was uh, Alternative TV's um, uh, Vibing Up the Senile Man Part 1. I, I just, I, I think of, I can't think of one without the other. Uh, they don't, you would never confuse songs from either of them. Um, but... You liked um, vibing up the senile man a lot more than I did. I, yeah, it, yeah. I was like, I, I was heading for the hills on that one. Um, <laughs> and I'm wondering how you feel about this one. Uh, well, I tell you, it, going into it, it, it was jarring. Um, but I, mm -hmm. I got, I got used to it. I got into it. Um, it's. I will be honest. This is probably my least liked album on on the set but i mm. i did enjoy it um and and i gotta say partly i don't know i when you listen to all the songs on the album i don't know if it's that they kind of grow on you um you know there's there's a lot of experimentation going on there's a lot of different things happening at once um but i think it kind of gels to me in the end. Yeah. You know. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I take this album, uh, the pop group's Why, way more seriously than I do alternative TV yeah. uh, vibing up the senile man uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the one, is, uh, the, the main reason for me, when you do this sort of like, extreme avant-garde deconstruction of pop type thing you gotta have an element of funk in it 
right? Yeah. So this, <laughs> right. there, there is a fair amount of funk in yeah. this album, which just yeah, makes all the difference sure. in the world. Not, not one single tiny bit of funk to be found in alternative TVs um, vibing up the senile man. And um, I feel like for all of the weirdness off of the pop group's Y debut, um, it all feels earned to me. Whereas the, the crap that alternative TV was doing didn't feel earned. It feels to me like the pop group is really living this music. They are, there is a purpose. They are deconstructing pop. They are, they are living, they're living it and breathing it and thinking it. They are not tourists. Whereas alternative TV feel kind of feels like avant-garde jazz tourists. Like let's have a laugh and do this kind of an album. Whereas it just, it, I I don't know that the pop group could ever do any other kind of music. This just feels like what they're about. Yeah. It feels yeah. like they they think about it and they're mindful of it. And now that's not saying that is it it isn't a tough set. It's a tough set. Um but but I I I have a tremendous amount of respect for this album. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're listening to it, you can definitely tell that they are working. Um, yeah. You know, they're not just playing a bunch of instruments and not paying attention to what each other's doing. This is all intentional and it's all yeah. it's yeah. all together. I mean, that's that's what yeah. they do. Like you said, I, I picked I picked a song that uh, I felt was kind of well. I, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I picked a tune. We uh, we are time. And I feel like this song is fucking crazy, but uh, it it's not going to pretend to be a normal tune because there's nothing normal about this amazing band. <laughs> so. My suspicion is that the label that put out this album, which was Radar, that the label chose the um, the sequence of songs because it really starts out with the most accessible songs and then slowly gets more and more out there and more and more difficult to listen yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and We Are Time is kind of like right there in the middle of the album. Probably like the for the first half of the album, every song I like a little bit less. So I feel like the, the, the most enjoyable song is sort of the most accessible one, which is the one that they start out with. I believe it's called, um, she is beyond good and evil. And then 
So I was really excited the first couple of songs, and then it just got more and more challenging. Nothing wrong with challenging, but it 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 fundamentally becomes kind of a tough sit for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, like like I said, it it when the first time I listened to the album, you know, it's it's a jarring, and it isn't mm-hmm. easy to sit and listen to. But uh, yeah. you know, when you start looking at all the elements in these tunes, man, you, it's it's fascinating. Um, yeah. So Mike Watt, who was with the Minutemen, he said that as far as this album. It's like the band said, hey, let's take Funkadelic and we'll put it with Beefheart. And that's what they ended up with, you know, <laughs> which I found yeah. I found kind of interesting. You brought up funk and Mike, Mike Watt was yeah. tuned in on that. Um, but here's something notable as far as this album being an influence to people. It influenced uh, Nick Cave, Sonic Youth, and it influenced the Minutemen. So mm-hmm. it it's definitely held pretty high from, you know, by a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I do expect it to um, pop up on some lists submitted. I think it really, really depends on your taste. You have uh-huh. you you have to have um, pretty avant garde tastes to dial this in. But if you do, I imagine that this is this is a bit of an exalted um, album for you. Yeah. So, so it is, if this is your cup of tea, this is one of the yummiest, tastiest, most energetic cups of tea you're going to find, I think. Yeah, absolutely. To absolutely torture that metaphor. <laughs> yeah. So that was the pop, uh, the pop group's debut album. Why? And, uh, uh, I'm probably going to listen to it a little bit more uh, before I mm-hmm. make any final judgments. But yeah, interesting stuff. It must be noted at this point that um, all of the albums we, we've discussed so far were released in April of 1979. The next group of titles were released in 1979. We don't know the month. Um, but so we're sticking them here because we have a number of open slots. So just keep that in mind. They were probably not released in April, but they were released sometime in 1979. So in one of probably the most jarring and dramatic (laughs) shifts from one album to another, we go from talking about the pop group's avant-garde, deconstructed pop weirdness of why to Swedish supergroup ABBA. Wait, no, that's not right. That can't be right. No, (laughs) but okay. It's not right, but they really sound like, you know, they're trying as hard as they can. (laughs) So, so this is, this is the album I mentioned before. Um, yeah. This is, I just cannot take this album serious at all. <laughs> yeah. It's the one and only full-length album from a group called The Doll, called um, Listen to the Silence. And um, this is a London band, and I was kind of scratching my head about, wait, why are we talking about this album um why and then 
And then I realized, oh, it's sort of like what we experienced when we talked about the tough darts. So you uh-huh. remember last year when when we talked about the tough darts, they had one album. And when we listened to it, we were kind of scratching our heads about this is punk how. But then we realized, oh, they were they were a punk band that, you know, went through CBGBs and all of that, but didn't actually release an album until they had kind of moved on. That yeah. is kind of the case here for the yeah. dolls. So they had um, they had a couple of singles that were moderate hits in the UK. One of them was called Trash. Another was called Don't Tango on My Heart. And then I think their biggest hit was Desire Me. Mm-hmm. And then the the band kind of split up and the there were two remaining members who got new band members and then they released this album. So <laughs> this album, when you listen to it, it's, you know, it's, it, it you're not really hearing um, the punk elements that got them noticed in the first place and why people talk about the doll as being a punk post-punk band. Um, so, I, when I come across an album like this, I try to be measured about, you know, my dislike for it. Um, but I find that there's very little here to recommend. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you feeling about it, Rob? You know, I was listening to it and I remember thinking, like you said ABBA, but also one of the things I thought of was Blondie. Um, and to me, it was just a little bit too much like those other bands. Um, but it, it was kind of jaunty and kind of, I, I, I think I did all right by it. It's by no means one of my favorite albums. Um, you know, I listened to it. I kind of liked it. It was, it wasn't bad, but there was nothing that really grabbed me about it. Nothing unique, you know, about it. Um, to me, it was just like maybe a Blondie or an Ava cover band, you know? (laughs) doing doing their own songs <laughs> yeah so. yeah and and i'll tell you the songwriting kind of a mess like yeah. at best unremarkable and at worst just sort of incoherent um so the closest that they came to a hit which wasn't a hit but was released as a single um is the song that we're going to listen to tonight called The One Kiss. For me personally, the most notable thing about this band and this album is, so I mentioned that they 
um, lost half of their band after they released a couple of singles and then got new members and recorded the actual album. So one of those new members was um, Jamie Wes Oram, who would go on to become a fan, uh, founding member of the band The Fix, which oh, is yeah. a new wave favorite of mine. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's that. Okay. Congrats. Congrats to the doll for, for producing that. <laughs> so that's the doll's uh, one and only release, uh, full-length release called Listen to the Silence. And I think we can move on. Great. Well, the next album we're going to cover is um, from one of my favorite artists. Uh, this is Patrick Fitzgerald's Grubby Stories. And uh, it was on Polydor Records. Again, we don't know exactly what month it was released, um, which you'll find to be kind of the way about Patrick Fitzgerald's music. Um, you know, he came from kind of a working class family. Um, he, uh, he, his parents are Irish. Um, but he is the guy that coined the phrase or coined the genre folk punk. And it's, it's exactly that, that I really love about him. I think that him taking this kind of folky stance, this like uh, grassroots um, stance and, and mixing it with the punk rock belligerence and, and attitude um, is, is one of the best things about him. Uh, now this album is, not quite all that. I mean, it's it's a good album, but <clears throat> I think that he has a little more instrumentation. He's got some more, you know, a little, little more to the production of the album, and uh, and it's good. The songs are interesting. The songs are are right up there with, uh, you know, they're they're about real stuff. So I really ended up really loving this loving this album what do you think yeah me too me yeah. me too um so the title of this album grubby stories that's not just a title of the album it is a mission statement for this album <laughs> and I, I, honestly i feel like the title does a lot of the heavy lift lifting as far as allowing me to get you know, get in the the right mind frame to to embrace uh -huh. what this album is about. Um, it is very, very curious choices that he makes. Not curious yeah. in a bad way, just noticeable, like particularly in the order of the songs. So if this is Grubby Stories, he's breaking it out into chapters and each chapter is like its own little thing. The man is, I find him to be quite a genius, not in just the songwriting, but again, like you said, how he arranges the albums. It's, it's mm -hmm. brilliant. Just brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, so I picked, I picked a song for this album that uh, I kind of wanted something that was, not like we've heard before because it seems to me maybe the only song we've heard from him is uh set we free i thought we'd played another 
but um, we, I wanted. To... We did. We we played a cut off of the EP, the Safety Pins Through My Heart EP. Yeah. I, I can't can't remember the the name of the song, but it was very much in the you know young punk with his banged up acoustic guitar vein. The two songs we're going to listen to tonight are not like that at all. Yeah, not at all. And that's exactly why I picked this. So the song I picked was called Suicidal Wreck. I'm a suicidal wreck, self-destruct in my head. I'm insane, why should they care? They're not the ones who feel the pain in my brain. Pain in my brain. I'm a terrorist on my own. Gonna blow my this was one of the songs that I had on my list of seven or eight favorites off of this album. Nice. Um, and another one in a very different vein is the song, and I think probably my very favorite off of this album, the song called Don't Tell Me Because I'm Young. Don't tell me because I'm young that I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm going through. Don't tell me because I'm young that I don't know what I'm seeing, I don't know what I'm saying, I don't know what I believe in. The old sitting in, guessing it can circles up in the have a whole lot to say about this song other than the fact that I really like it and it was going to be my first choice. So <laughs> I'm really glad that you picked it. Um, yeah, you know, I'm just looking forward to hearing more about Pat, more from uh, Patrick Fitzgerald. Uh, yeah, I really am. Yeah. I really am. So uh, we can move on. So that was Patrick Fitzgerald's album, Grubby Stories. And again, we don't know exactly when it came out, but uh, it came out in 1979. So uh, I don't know. I gave it a thumbs up. Let's move on to The Boys. I think I think this is the third album at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's called To Hell With The Boys. So... Um, you know the 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 dolls album I really didn't care for. This album I think I'm the most kind of indifferent about. I I like it, but the more that I hear from them, the more that they they just kind of feel like also rans. Mm-hmm. Um how how did you feel about this album? Um yeah, no I I think it's an okay album, but just okay. Um Again, we f- I feel like it's more of a power pop than a punk or a new wave album. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they did a whole rewriting of, of Knocking on Heaven's Door that was, I, you know, I just feel like, really? <laughs> um, and, and you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's an awful album, but I, I think that uh, I could probably pass on it most of the time. I can't imagine that they weren't thinking about the success of Cheap Trick when they decided to go into, you know, veer off 
in this direction as opposed to the fairly straightforward punk that they were doing on the first two albums. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, they, uh, the song Kamikaze off this album is pretty nice. It is, um, it's, it's my favorite song on the album and not sounding particularly like Cheap Trick as opposed to a number of the other cuts off of this. But I, I really like Kamikaze. Um, I think it's it's a pretty a snazzy little song. It was a Friday. The rain was pissing down. I took my Norton and I rode in her town. There was this young kid, all dressed in black, riding his Honda. I feel like this song is more punk than much of the album. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, and it is my favorite song on the album, too, by the way. And I, I do I like it quite a bit. Um, and I got to tell you, man, that sax just rocks. <laughs> I know, you know, and you know how I feel about sax. Oh, I do. So, yeah. so, so when I come across a song where it's like, ooh, not only do I not mind the sax, but it is actually like a strong point of the song. Yeah. Then it that really makes is. me like it even more because oh, it's cool. bucking the trend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So that is um, The Boys' uh, release called To the Hell with the Boys. I cannot imagine that it is going to show up on anyone's list, but you never know. Yeah. Well, the next album we're going to talk about is from a band called Gina X Performance, or GXP to some people. Um, The album is called Nice Mover. And uh, this is a band. This is, so here's something cool. These this band was based in Cologne, Germany. Um, they're kind of a synth pop new wave band. Yeah. When I first listened to it, I, I it took me a moment. I'm like, am I going to get used to the vocals uh, of Gina X? Um, and and they totally grew on me. I don't know how you feel about this album, but I really kind of like this band a lot. <laughs> So. Yeah, well, this is this is uh, probably not my favorite album of the bunch, but it is the one that I get the most excited about. Yeah, uh, we are hearing some things here that um, are going to, uh, you know, that are that are pretty new at the time, at least uh, for being released on a on a, a full album, um, and. I really, I enjoy it. It's it's the the kind of music that you you heard a ton of in the mid eighties, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is definitely um, on the vanguard of this sort of like um, club track approach to to making songs. Um, there are as you know the first time i listened to this album there were there were three artists that 
that sprang to mind. Two of them very, very obvious, and one of them um, I'll have to explain. So the the two very, very obvious influences um, are Lene Lovich, right? Particularly in the 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 vocals and craftwork, uh-huh. um, right? So this is they are a German band. They a band like this in 1979 really could have only come out of Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And then the the third band that kept popping to mind is um, the you remember last season we talked about the flash in the pan album. Uh And so the lead vocalist, you would never confuse the Gina X performance with flash in the pan, but the, um, what makes me think of flash in the pan is the very, very stylized, uh, vocal performance right so she's got basically one thing that she's doing and she sticks in that lane vocally so uh-huh. it's not a lot of singing it's just she's got this talky singy style that is that is just it gets a little old pretty fast um just like flash in the and the pans uh lead vocalists you know just has one trick um, however, I would say that um, the Gina X performance is um, uh, more engaging to me than Flash in the Pan. Yeah, and I think yeah. that her shtick is a better, more engaging approach than what Flash in the Pan is doing for for me personally. So. Well, that's in, that's interesting. I so I had thought about that myself as well. But the band that I came up with was Velvet Underground with Nico, and mm, um, mm, mm-hmm. and she had had also a very kind of speaky, you know, s- singing singing speaking kind of tone. Um, but I I also feel like Gina X is more more engaging than even than even Nico mm. and some some cases although mm-hmm. nico did a lot of singing but but uh yeah interesting flash in the pan yeah interesting well the the song i picked is the title track off of this album um because i felt like it was a pretty good representation of what this album is, is about um so let's listen to that I'm your transformer, call me Marlin, call me Gino, that's me or no. I'm your transformer, call me Marlin, call me Gino, that's me or no. I like it, Jalebe, mi piace. Every time I listen to this song, she grows on me a little bit more. <laughs> I I dig it. I really dig it. Um, 
and and again, you're you're absolutely right. Engaging is is they're definitely she's definitely a lot more engaging than, than Flash in the Pan. <laughs> <laughs> um, good song, good tune. Uh, so so I picked Black Sheep again. The music gets me on this one, but but I in this I really just love the vocals a lot. I am thick-skinned like a big sheep. That's right. That's all right. By far, this is my favorite song off of the oh, album. Oh, um, sweet. Yeah. And, and, but I felt like we also needed to listen to Nice Mover because this song is the funniest. It's the most dynamic. Uh-huh. Um, it's sort of the, 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 the strongest as far as the music goes, um, like the most aggressive. Um and um, I I th- I think it's a delight. She's actually doing a little bit more singing on this song um, than most of the other cuts, and kind of demonstrating why she doesn't do a lot of singing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But still, I mean, this is just a just a delightful, weird orgy of of just flights of fancy i mean we've got you know cheap sound effects and (laughs) she's having a lot of fun playing with the 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 pun of bleeding versus bleeding and she just sort of invents the idea that that sheep have thick skinned (laughs) like wait I, I have thick skin just like a sheep. It's like, wait, that's not a thing. <laughs> right? Or or is it? Are are sheep notorious for having thick skins? No, they they've got <laughs> wool though, so maybe that helps. <laughs> I don't know. I just I think it's just like this whole song is just like this weird warp sort of acid cartoon which yeah. um just makes me giggle every time that i listen to it this song i, I thrown it on several of my like permanent playlists for my personal listening um it's just a it's just a goofy delight so yeah that's gina x performance is nice mover and uh I, i'm with you i'm putting in some of those songs on my permanent playlist Okay, that brings us to the last title that we're going to uh, examine tonight. This is from a band called Fingerprints with a Z. Uh, Their debut album uh, called The Very Dab. It, It was really hard for me to find much on this band. This is pretty obscure stuff. They're a Scottish band. Um, this is the first of three albums that they'll release. Two members uh, would later go on uh, to form a band called The Silencers, which I think were more successful. 
And um, I'm curious what you what you think about this album. I I, I want to um, hear your reaction before I I get into yeah, mine. Yeah. Um, my reaction was again. I had a hard time finding anything on this band. Um, much less music, uh, information about them was pretty scarce. Um, but I, I did listen to some of their other stuff and I have to say, this is probably the most punk like album that they have. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's still lacking the whole punk vibe, you know, um, Hmm. I, I, I just, I, fundamentally disagree with you on that i mean uh -huh. i i think that it, it is it is post-punk but there are so what i like about this album um and i this is this is i find this album delightful as well um yeah. is that the the songwriting is solid but not great but they really do a uh, a very very good job at um, for each song kind of creating its own vibe and its own fill. Nothing too dramatic. It's not like oh here's a you know a disco song and here's a you know Irish jig or whatever. It's it's not yeah. schizophrenic, but the songs don't sound like the same song over and over again. They really true. create each, each song kind of creates its own little world for a couple of minutes. And I find that I find them fairly convincing. Um, so I really appreciate that. I don't get bored with this album. Um, I, I think the, the, probably the, the the like weakest part of it is the songwriting itself is fine but nothing really of note but i really enjoy this album um and my favorite song off of this uh, for a couple of different reasons is a song called punchy judy so let's listen to that now I say no way home, pennies for electric apparatus I'm just what you need, guaranteed to improve your marital status Don't wanna end up that way I don't wanna end up that way, 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 way Punch it today Stay cheesy Punch it today It's a fair I said for it I feel like this song is out of time a little bit, and and I don't mean like the song is is missing. I, I mean it's it feels like it's, it belongs in a different era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so know? I I've got thoughts about that. Please. Well, the thing is, is I can't quite place it, and I like this song mm. a lot. I really do. Um, to me, it still doesn't sound punk so much as uh, I cannot tell you what it sounds like to me. It, it's, but definitely sounds like it belongs in a different time. So, so tell me your yeah. thoughts on that. Well, I, I think of a very, very specific band that 
doesn't exist in 1979. At least I don't think that they do. They don't release an album until the mid to late 80s. Um, Cliffhanger, I'm not going to say the name of the band quite yet. Um, But I want to to talk about sort of like a growing obsession of mine. So this has come up a couple of times. Every once in a while, we come across, as we're chronologically going through um, the years, we come across a song, a single solitary song, that sounds like the blueprint for the entire career of a band that comes comes uh, down the road, much further down the road. So if you remember, there was a damned song that sounded like the blueprint for like the entire output of The Offspring. Do you remember that? Yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. And then uh, when we were looking at, when we did the Iggy Pop Deep Dive, there was a song that sounded like the blueprint for most of the stuff that Jane's Addiction did, right? Absolutely. This song, Punchy Judy, sounds like the blueprint for everything that the Screaming Blue Messiahs did. Uh, Are you familiar with the Screaming Blue Messiahs? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah. Holy cow. I was <laughs> I was really into them in uh like the late 80s. So, uh, and that's probably why I gravitated to the song cuz it's like, yeah. oh, this sounds like a lost screaming blue messiah song. <laughs> yeah, so um this is a delightful but but fairly unremarkable album is, you know, personally that's my takeaway from it. It is mm-hmm. the Fingerprints debut album called The Very Dab. Yeah. yeah. The whole man, this whole set, this whole uh, playlist was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So so much fun. Delightful. And that's the last time I'm going to say that word this episode. <laughs> We got a response a while ago uh, from uh, William P. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to acknowledge that and, and t- talk real quickly about some of his comments. So, first of all, he is um, a big fan of Peter Hamill. And, um, and he at, said at one point he had 10,000 LPs. So Rob, let's see. Right now, you've got five or six. Yeah. So you're you're <laughs> like I'm not very good at math. That's like halfway there. Yeah, yeah, right. I'm close. <laughs> <laughs> he um uh, as as a number of our other listeners have um has contributed some ideas for bands to include, which we appreciate that. He's helping us be the best little podcast we can be. So he mentioned um, Fashion, um, Fisher Z, and those two off the top of my head I know are included. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also mentioned um, Cineros, Cowboys International, and the Reds, which he calls the Doors of Punk, nice. which should excite you, but make, yeah. makes me kind of groan a little bit. But <laughs> um, And 
those don't sound familiar to me, so I am going to add them to our list, and we'll nice. make sure that we cover them. So yeah. many, many thanks to William P. Always appreciate feedback. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, so, Rob, you know what we did, or and by we, I mean I, um, <laughs> on the Roxy Music? What's so that? I had a song picked out from Stranded that for some reason I just didn't add to the list. I put it on the playlist, but I didn't put it in my notes. So we oh. just skipped right over it. It is one of my favorite songs off of that playlist. So I thought maybe we could, and I, I noticed it during the editing process, and I tried to find a way to stick it in when we were talking about Stranded, but there was just no logical place to insert it. So I was thinking we could go out on that. So this was my pick that was unintentionally dropped um, for... Roxy Music's album Stranded, one of my favorite of their songs called Amazonia. So we will go out on that. And if you're interested to hear what we are going to cover for um, next month, stick around till the very end, past the fade out, and we'll pop back in and tell you the albums that we'll be covering. But before that, we have a deep dive. Rob, would you like to reveal to everybody, everybody listening with bated breath in two weeks, uh, what band yep. that we've talked about tonight are we going to do our deep dive on? I often seem clueless when you ask me these questions because mostly I am. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say Patrick Fitzgerald. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah, so I'm really excited about, I am, about yeah, that. I yeah. Me too. All right. Well, we will um, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye. See ya. Amazona. It's a zone where. Albums featured for May of 1979, The Cures, Three Imaginary Boys, a.k.a. Boys Don't Cry, David Bowie's Lodger, Ian Dury and the Blockheads, Do It Yourself, M, New York, London, Paris, Munich, and Patti Smith Group, Wave. The Boys Next Door album, titled Door Door, the undertones eponymously titled Debut, Soft Boys, with an album called A Can of Bees and Fisher Z. Speaking of Fisher Z, with Word Salad. Mm -hmm.